Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Welcome back, Ghoul Gang. Between Lewis and Lovecraft and non-ghoul gang to Between Lewis and, and Lovecraft. And poetry bros. And poetry bros. And uh, we're just going to have a list of all <laughs> of the demographics that we hit. Yes, we have a separate like fan club for every demographic. There's, you know, why have one unified um, group of listeners all bonded by their love of us right. when we could divide we, them into tribes when we create the discord server we're gonna have channels we're gonna have the ghoul gang channel we're gonna have mm-hmm. the poetry bros channel mm-hmm. we're gonna have um I, I i don't know any other group that we've um created but if you're a listener <laughs> and you've been listening for a while and you know that we have other other groups and other demographics let us know so that we can, you know, put those together and we can have different clubs, reading different books, having different discussions. You can join them all if you want. You can join one if you want. It's <laughs> it's fine. I'm probably never going to step foot in the Poetry Bros section. So close-minded. <laughs> yeah, I guess. If it was good enough for Shakespeare, it should be good enough for you. Mm, I am 100% not going to live my life by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could take you down a lot of dangerous roads. Yeah. Well, he left his wife and, you know, went and decided to just follow his dreams. And if it's good enough for Shakespeare, it's good enough for me. See you, Becca. Bye, Alistair. <laughs> Sorry, bud. I love I won't you. Write. You're my entire life, but, you know, if Shakespeare. So, you know, <laughs> definitely I do not model my morals after that guy. Well, hopefully our next author will have better morals that we can talk about, but I don't know yet because I just got the biography for our next one. Yeah, Arthur and Shirley. That's a cool looking book. It is, and it's very thin. Oh, that's very good. That's promising. Maybe he left out all of the um, historical background that our previous author waxed poetic about. (laughs) And now I know which book not to go get so that we don't have the same... Um, biography (laughs) although i feel like there was a kinship in us just like being angry at this guy for suffering through the last one yeah and like i am if only one of us went through that the other one would be like what's the big deal it's not that big a deal but because we both went through it we're like yeah no this was awful (laughs) yeah if just you went through that i would have been like "Eh, tyler never reads the entire biography what else is new (laughs) but yeah so our next author that we're gonna be talking about is um arthur conan doyle legitimately for some reason i was about to just say sherlock holmes like he wrote his own books you know maybe we'll find out that he was Sherlock Holmes and this was all an elaborate uh, ruse to write a memoir without going to jail or something. Damn. There you go. Yeah. No, it was totally somebody else that did coke leaves. (laughs) And illegally trafficked wool. (gasps) Did Sherlock Holmes illegally traffic wool? I loved him so much and now (laughs) now it just totally ruins his wholesome image. On par with child pornography. 
God damn. <laughs> you thought I was going to forget about that bit. I hope people listen to our last episode so they understand. <laughs> this is the first episode they listen to. And they're like, well, oh, yeah. I made it three minutes in. I'm good. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should be cleaning it up a little bit, Tyler, because I know that some of the authors we interviewed at the art festival the other weekend are going to be listening to this. Good. And one of them is very young. So um, we should. She's, you know, she's young, but she's she's old enough to know how horrible wool trafficking is. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too early to talk to your kids about the dangers of wool trafficking. She's not that young. She's going to college. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, um, if you are listening to this, first of all, thanks for thanks for doing an interview with us. And uh, you know, be your own person. You're old enough to to know when a joke is funny or not funny. You can make your own decisions. So, yeah. So before we get into all of those interviews that we recorded, um, what have you been reading lately? Um, I keep jumping around. Um, I think uh, I, lately it's I've been having a hard time. Honestly, like I don't know if it's uh, like. <laughs> I've learned how to deal with my depression and so I'm not like super sad all the time but like the effects are still there where I don't want to do um the stuff that I normally do like I don't I just don't play video games I don't write I haven't read I've literally just been going home taking care of my son or coming into the studio to edit some stuff and then I go Uh home and go to sleep and I don't know if it's that or if it's because I'm a new dad, <laughs> I'm a new dad. I don't know. You know that really. um, and, you know, I'm just trying to get used to still like like going to work, coming home, taking care of my kid, doing basically a second job at the studio. And that's just wearing me out. Or we've had this stupid ass heat wave and I hate, hate the heat, Hannah. I hate it. If it's above 85 degrees, I'm miserable. Um, and so, um, I legitimately think that it might be a mixture of all three, mostly the heat though, kind of keeps me down. Um, and so I really haven't been doing a ton. I've been trying to get through, uh, Penny Litch stuff and then, um, listening to, uh, seven habits of highly effective people, um, trying to get through, um, way of Kings, but that's like super long yeah that's a long-term goal i feel like (laughs) yeah and uh and i see um ali fitzgerald's videos about how like how she feels about it and i can't watch them because i don't want her to spoil it for me um so then i feel bad that i'm not a good enough friend to watch my friend's videos so that makes me feel bad wow you're in a really negative cycle right now yeah i am sorry i know um you've got like the opposite of seasonal affected disorder or whatever yeah you're absolutely right it like is you, seasonal dissected seasonal affected de- disorder effect- but it happens in the summertime for me yeah you're the like it's too sunny summertime. it's too hot but no i feel you um it's like it's been in the 80s all week up here and i think it's more humid because it feels hotter yeah than it does when i'm down in oregon and also we're in an upstairs apartment so it's just Ooh, sweltering in here yeah that's pretty bad um I bought a bunch of comic books uh after my birthday uh I got a, like people started 
giving me Amazon gift cards again, which I love. So I bought a bunch of like Thor comic books because I was excited for the Thor movie, which I didn't like the Thor movie. So I've heard what... that from a lot of people who saw it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or my Facebook post. <laughs> if you saw oh, my I Facebook. didn't see your Facebook post about uh, that one. Yeah. Um, I've been going ham on Facebook. By the way, if you follow me on Facebook and you're here, um, why? Um, but also <laughs> just no, I'm I'm okay. I'm fine. I just like to I just like to say shit now. Um, so that's fun. And if you haven't checked as out opposed to before when you didn't like to say shit. I didn't. Not when this, you kept this, your feelings this to place, yourself. This podcast was the only place I would kind of let loose. Oh. Um, legitimately. And so uh like on Facebook I wouldn't say anything. And and I posted like a couple of posts on uh Thursday, people like legitimately reached out to like, are you okay? It's like, all I did was complain about Thor. Um, <laughs> and then like one other thing, I can't even remember what it is because it wasn't I, that important. I feel like it wasn't Thor so much as the other thing, which was extremely vague. And I was like, ah, Tyler's probably just in a mood right now. So yeah. I didn't reach out because I'm a bad friend. No, you're not a bad friend. You just know me well <laughs> enough to know, like, first of all, it's probably temporary. <laughs> Uh, Devani was like, dude, it's been like 24 hours and you're still posting. What's up? <laughs> like, nothing's up. I'm just now. This is who I am. This is. I've decided that this is my new personality. At least Angry on Facebook. internet, bro. At least on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> what about you? What have you been reading? Um, I have been reading a delightful novel called "The Once and Future Witches." Mm. Um, it's by Alex Harrow, who I was a huge fan of one of her previous books, which was called The 10,000 Doors of January. Um, and she kind of does like fantasy. This one is, um, I think this is her latest book. And it's about witches, as the title implies. Classic. It's about three estranged sisters um, who come together and um, they they their past is like they were raised by a grandma who taught them witching ways and spells and stuff um but witching is like seriously banned because I, this is set after real quick um, just to just to interrupt for just a second you you said the witching ways and just reminded me of dune <laughs> and it was like do they have witching ways in dune well yeah when when they meet the um uh the fremen when paul and his mom meet the fremen She's, he's all like, oh, she's a woman of the witching ways. <laughs> and they say it like over and over and over again. So it just they do me. say it a lot in here. Um, and they call them like the words instead of spells. Um, but it's like got the historical parallels because it's set in New Salem. And the premise is that after the witch trials, Old Salem was burned completely to the ground. Nice. They just killed everybody. Um, and it's this is in the late 1800s, so it's also got the political overtones of the suffragist movement going at the same time. Which so, I think every witch um, story has to be uh, like an undertone of feminism. In yes, some way. yeah, this one has the also like historical plot right. of feminism too, and it's like the the regular feminists who don't want to associate with the witches because they're like, yo, you guys got everybody killed last time. We're just going to be nice and ask for the right to vote. And then the witches are like, yeah, no, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, so, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. So it's actually, it's I normally don't like fiction with like 
blatant political overtones in it. Yeah. But I think Alex Harrow is like a talented enough writer. Her prose is beautiful and the pacing is really good. So I'm really, I'm flying through this book, which is quite hefty actually. Yeah, that's a big book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think 500 plus pages. So nice. I thought it would take me longer to read, but it's been a, a breeze. So I would highly recommend it. Devani might like this one. Hey, look at that. Personal, yeah, she recommended uh, a book that, yeah, she recommended one that I liked, um, that I talked about, I think the last time we did a chill episode. Mm -hmm. So uh, now I think I would recommend this to her and anybody else who likes um, like historical fantasy, I guess would be the genre. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going through it in my head, um, like where witches came from as far as, you know, you got your classic monsters, right? You got vampires, mm -hmm. you got Frankensteins, you got uh, werewolves, and you got witches. But witches generally, or genuinely are like a political monster that was created through um, the times and using them was for the use of political power. Um, and it's really interesting to me. Like, I've never thought about it before. But, like, you know, you have Frankenstein, which represents the um, Prometheus story, the, um, like, should we, we never asked if we should, you know, we only asked if we could sort of story. And then you have um, Dracula that represents sort of, like, um, the old and the new worlds coming together and, and that sort of um, almost xenophobia uh of the old world um and then werewolves are just a mess of different <laughs> traditions and kind of racist <laughs> things um but witches were seriously like it, it was like a political thing of like they really only they're only really a big deal because there was the salem witch trials because there were these these hunts for witches that were really only there because we had um, men who wanted to to oppress women and keep them down, and then we wanted to um, use that to their you know like our advantage somehow. So I don't know. I, I it just popped into my head. I have no idea why this is taking such deep root into my brains right now. But like, it is. Well, I think it. I think it depends on like the culture and the the time period that you're like writing or reading about witches too because i think that's true of witches now and like post salem witch trials in yeah. pop culture um but like witch doctors have been a thing forever um the brothers Grimm had had witches yeah and brothers not... Grimm was going on around the same time period as the earlier witch hunts right um i think the witch trials were in the 16 or 1700s in America and Brothers Grimm were 1500s I believe. Yeah, but there are witch trials in um, yeah, the probably. UK and in Europe as well. I mean, especially with like uh the Spanish Inquisition. That was a big part mm -hmm. of it. They they were constantly looking for witches. True. True. Um, but I think the concept of like, you know, some old lady who lives alone in the woods and knows a bunch about herbs goes even farther back than witch trials yeah and witch doctors are super interesting because they're almost they don't have anything to do with witches almost at all yeah and um, they're dudes usually well 
they're they're people that are actually warding off like demons and spirits and stuff like that. This is going in a weird direction. This episode is going in a weird <laughs> direction, but it is super interesting. Maybe it's more a conversation we should have during Halloween. We should have the uh, an episode on the history of witches. Ooh, yeah. I, I that mean, would be a really long episode. We'd have yeah. to do it by continent. I feel like. Yeah, and <laughs> that would be intensive. But it'd be fun. I'd love to talk Tyler's about Tyler's like, that. I am not going to do the research, but I yeah. will come talk about it. That would it. suck for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm reading about witches. Um, nice. Yeah. I do need... So I guess kind of transitioning into our author interviews, I when we were at the art festival in Canby a couple weekends ago, um, I did pick up um, the book The Paris Bright by um kira the the fir- first, kira birch yes. the first author that we interviewed so that's in my uh to be read pile right now noise yeah yeah i i had a good time at the uh, at the festival at the fair um i sold out a penny lich which you guys will hear um because i bring it up several times throughout <laughs> the the thing um i had people who were already demanding more um i had people who were really excited about you know the premise of it and uh um i've made some pretty big decisions on what i'm going to do with the penny lich after doing the fair um like it's going to change a little bit and by a little bit i mean a lot um so i can either talk about that now or after our interviews why don't you talk about it now because uh you have piqued my interest i was there and i didn't know that you'd made these big well, decisions. It, the, these decisions were made afterwards. It wasn't yeah, they like fair. percolated in yeah. your brain a little bit. Um, mostly, mostly due to the fact that like, so I've sat down several times to sit down to to finish the next episode and write the one after that, so that I can have something in a week to publish. And I, you know, talking to uh, the writers group that I'm in, um, you know, I realized that trying to do a story every month is is going to be really hard. Uh, especially right now where where I'm at. And um, I was talking to them about how much more fun it is to be at an event and sell a physical book, you know, and how much more people are willing to buy physical books. And I was really worried. I was like, you know, I don't think I genuinely I don't think a single person has bought um, the fourth episode of The Penny Lich. Um, and, and it came out a month ago um, as an ebook, But nobody's bought it because nobody nobody cares (laughs) ebooks like you have to have i don't know what it is you have to have some sort of built-in audience or do it exactly right to start to sell the ebooks so i was like i just i maybe i don't need to put the energy into that and uh i was like you know talking to them i i started to formulate the idea of like what if I do what I just did, right? Where I I write three short stories for the Penny Lich and then I collect them all into a bundle and then I sell that bundle as a physical book and an ebook. Um, and I was like, yeah, that seems kind of weird. And then I started to realize you and I did a couple episodes on school grade books or middle grade mm-hmm. books, you know, and there's Goosebumps and there's Hardy Boys and there's Animorphs and looking those up the animorph books are around 30,000 words um and i was like oh damn there's a precedence for this of like having a huge series 
told in really short, you know, novellas. And that's basically what I'm producing are novellas. So um, what I've decided to do at this point with Penny Lich is instead of doing a new story every month and really, you know, getting into that grind and kind of wearing myself out, um, I've decided that I'm going to start producing one novella every six months. And that'll include three short stories from the Penny Lich. Um, so that allows me a little bit more time and then I can save up money and I can pay for artists to do the cover artwork the way that I did with the first one. Mm -hmm. And then over time, the, you know, the more of these books that I do and I go to events, like it won't just be, you know, one penny lich. It'll be like five of the penny liches that people can buy as many as they want and, you know, devour them. Um, and I feel like that's a more fun way of doing it. It's uh, it's easier for me, obviously. Um, it's easier on my wallet and trying to get, you know, artists and editors and formatting and everything. So, um, you know, this whole thing is a huge experiment. And so I have zero problem kind of, you know, moving back and forth on how I'm going to do it. Um, and I don't think I, I think absolutely zero people are going to care. <laughs> that I'm yeah. not doing a monthly ebook at this point. <laughs> I like that you have that flexibility that you're you're not dead set on, oh, well, I said I was going to do it this way at first, so now I have to. Like, I think it's interesting that you took the feedback that you were getting from readers and, and strangers who were like picking up your book for the first time um, and use that to kind of revamp your idea. Yeah. And I think that's a cool concept too. Like one novella every six months is still a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and uh, I and mean, you're already you you have the fourth story already. Are you done with the fifth one? So are you pretty close to having your second novella done? Um, the fifth story, the first draft is written, and I'm gonna be spending time tonight uh, revising it because there's a lot of stuff that I just kind of because again I was in a rush. I was like, oh fuck, I gotta get this done this month, you know, like the the Kermit the Frog meme of him like on the <laughs> on the um, like banging the keyboard. Yeah. That was me. And like, that was one of my problems is I, I didn't, I was like, I don't want to go back and revise the story. Cause it's, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, well, the, then something needs to change. Either I need to restart or I need to figure something else out. And then the idea of me restarting, I'm like, you, you have to have this out in, in a week. You can't restart. And then, you know, that cycle of like, well, I don't want to work on it because it's, fucked and it's fucked because I don't want to work on it and you know and so um I'm trying to get ahead of that so the episode five um which is in which is titled witcher I hardly know her um, and you were so excited about that name too yeah and it's gonna stay that name uh it's well still, no I know I just mean that you were excited about the name and now yeah. you hate the or you're dissatisfied with I'm, the story. I'm, so. I'm okay with how the first half turned out, and then the second half feels super rushed, right? And I don't want to do that. So I'm going to rewrite it, um, at least the second half, or, or rework it a little bit. And uh, and then I already know what I'm going to do for the sixth episode, and I should be able to bust that out pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, I, I think that if I really get my my head into it, I could be done with the second novella within the next month or two. And then that gives like that's some huge breathing room, right? Like mm -hmm. now I have way more time to work on the the next novella, the next three stories and, and Yeah, you've basically 
like cut your your words that you have to reach by half yeah so yeah and that gives you a lot more time to focus on editing and like designing and mm-hmm. and all of that and marketing and, that, and that's a huge thing i really want to if hey listeners seriously if you're an artist or if you know artists that um are capable of doing good work that is worthy of being um a book cover um please reach out uh email us at lewis and lovecraft at gmail.com because what i really want to do is I want every cover to represent a different artist. I want it, or I want an artist to represent each cover and um, give them that, right? Because that that could be cool. It could be its own collection of art. And and then one day when I do have like a a big collected book, we can put that art inside of it, and it can be a special collection. Um, so um, if you are an artist and or know someone, um, hit hit us up. Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com and uh, we can talk about all that. And it's a paying gig, so it's not like you're doing it for free. All right. Well, uh, with that, should we move into our interviews? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have any do you want to set anything up before we Yeah. So basically, um, I don't know how much we introduced it while we were uh recording them live, but um a couple weekends ago in, in mid July, um, Tyler and I both went to the um, Through the Looking Glass Arts Festival put on by the Canby Arts Association, of which our good friend Megan Waterman and and Paul Waterman from the Book Nook, um, they're heavily involved with the Arts Association. Um, so Tyler, of course, had a booth and he was selling books, um, the Penny Lich and also the um, Phoenix Quill Anthology. Yeah and also promoting our show and while we were there megan had asked us to interview a few of the um, independent authors that were there selling books um so we did that and yeah we just had a really fun time talking to them about their work and their journey um both in writing and in publishing got some good advice from them yeah and yeah just had a good time yeah it was really fun so um and despite some uh, production setbacks, we were actually able to make it work. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's dive into it. Here is... should be recording i'm gonna put on some headphones and hey i sound pretty damn good (laughs) welcome back to between lewis and lovecraft the podcast where we say let's stop hanging out in the studio let's go out into the world talk about books because there's one thing that book people love to do it's be around other people at all times yes we love talking to strangers yeah um with us today we are joined by a new co-host. She's probably going to take my spot because I don't actually do anything for the podcast. I just kind of show up and start talking until Hannah stops me. We have Kira, and I already forgot your last <laughs> Kira name. Birch. Birch. Yep. Kira Birch. Welcome Good. to the show, Thank Kira. You. <laughs> yeah, so Kira is a very talented young author, um, and today that's going to be the gist of the, the show. Um, we've got a cool lineup of independently published authors uh, joining us throughout the day. And uh, we may have teased this on an episode, I'm not sure, uh, but we're at the Through the Looking Glass Arts Festival, 
which is basically organized by the Canby Arts Association here in our hometown, Canby, Oregon. Um, and it's been a really fun day out here so far. There's all sorts of like artists and uh, authors like Kira, uh, food, music, all sorts of things. Yeah, uh, not to make myself, myself sound amazing, but I've already sold out of <laughs> one of my books. Now I did this by doing something really innovative and not having enough money to buy a lot of copies <laughs> of my book to sell. So, I mean, it's both good and bad at this <laughs> No, it was really nice because you sold out, I think, within an hour and a like half. an hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good feeling. Kira brought a lot more books. Um, yes. She was a little more prepared. I saw her book. Okay, she, she's I got, got like, posters though. She's got like 20 copies of each book set out. It looks great over at her booth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, so our goal um, is kind of just to provide authors here a platform to talk about their work and their process. And that really ties into the whole gist of this event, which is giving local authors and artists and creators a, yeah. a platform and a space to show off all their amazing talents. Yeah, so Kira, tell us about yourself. Okay, well, um, my name is Kira Birch. I'm a recent graduate of North Clackamas Christian School, which is in Oregon City. Um, that's where I live. Um, At I've the been, school? You just live in the school? Uh, yeah, of course. Do they know that you live in the school? Or are you um, like, hey, no, I'm... not yet. I oh, okay, tell, okay. Probably oh, shouldn't no, tell we've them added. We'll bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I live in Oregon City. Um, let's see, uh, I've been writing for as long as I could. Yeah. I think as soon as I picked up a pen for the first time, I don't think I've stopped since. Um, yeah, so I write young adult fantasy, and I love to read as well. Love fantasy is definitely my favorite genre, and yeah, that's awesome. And your first book, um, the Paris Paris Sprite, yes, came out in 2020. Yes. So you were like what 16 when you I published was, this? Yeah, I was 16 when it was published. Oh I wrote my gosh. the book when I was 14. Okay, so, yeah. so next to us is an artist who also started doing art when she was a teen. Oh, wow. Now we have an author, and I'm 33 years old, and I got one book out there. I'll catch up to you guys someday. He's going to have an existential crisis yeah. now. I'm just going to leave. Thanks, Kira. You're welcome. So was this like the first book you'd ever written, or just the first one that you completed, and you were like, this is good enough to get out there in the yeah. world? so I wrote a lot of books like in middle school. Like, that was my big thing. I love just... I wrote like a series about, um, it was like about a farm and stuff like that, um, but it wasn't really like good. I hadn't, I mean, I was like in middle school, you know, I hadn't really like taken much like classes and like grammar and stuff like that, anything. And so it was, that one was more just for fun. I wasn't even aware that like publishing was a thing kind of, I was just like, <laughs> authors I, are like these like gods that are just out there. Like. I absolutely <laughs> love it when an author says, yeah, I wrote this book, but it was not good. Like, <laughs> I got to that point as well, and I think that's a defining factor of a good author because yeah. you've you've grown, you've learned yeah. from that experience. You know what is good and mm -hmm. how to do it better, and so you can look back and be like, "Yeah, I did this, but it's absolute crap. Do yeah. not read it." <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, I wrote those. I never really thought about publishing them. They were definitely just like for fun, and I was also like, it wasn't even on my radar to publish it. But um, with the Paris Spray, I, my parents really encouraged me to just like look into publications and stuff like that. So I just went for it. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? I know that's like, yeah. as a writer, the worst question <laughs> no. you can get. I can read the synopsis yes. from your website, or you can tell us it's about okay. the book. I can give a, I can give a brief like synopsis. But um, so basically, like the Paris Sprite is like this creature that can transform from like human form to like an animal form, and. Um, so it follows the story of like three human teenagers and they all like live in this city but they all have like their own problems and stuff their life is kind of crap and then um and then they discover this blue light in the woods and they chase it because 
like, why not? Of course. <laughs> yeah, and they discover this hidden world of Paris sprites in an oak tree. So the entire, like, book kind of centers around that. There's, like, a villain who's trying to destroy, like, that world. So just, like, follows them discovering the world of Paris sprites. And, yeah. That's awesome. And, um... Is this like a trilogy, a series? Yeah, I saw so you have the new new book over yeah, at your Yeah, I do. So it's going to be a series of four. I have, um, I'm working on this third and fourth one right now, and the first and second ones are published. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about like the, the writing process for you and how you decided to independently publish? Like, did yeah. you explore finding an agent or traditional publishing at all? Yeah, so the writing... Um, I didn't, I have, this is not professionally edited, like, as a book. I've had, like, family do it who are writers, um, so I guess in that sense it's professionals, but I didn't, awesome. um, like, I didn't go through a professional process to get this published, and so I didn't, I looked at agents, but it wasn't really something that I was feeling, especially because I, like, had the first one published at 16. Mm -hmm. Um, I more just wanted to have, like, hold, be able to hold my book in my hand and, like, have people that I know would love to read it, just read it, and so... I wasn't really looking to go through the long like professional like process of like getting an agent, getting it published that way. So that's why I chose to have it independently published. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think that's really cool because looking back at myself when I was, you know, 16, yeah. <laughs> I would not have been able to do that. I think I would have been way too like shy and timid yeah. to put something out into the world like that. But that's so cool that uh, that you're here yeah. advocating for yourself and, you. and your art. Um, so can you tell us like what the the sequel and the rest of the trilogy is about or yeah, uh, saga so, I yes. should say <laughs> okay, so yeah so basically I gave like synopsis to the first one um the second one follows huh, I'm trying to think how to not spoil the first one oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, everyone dies okay, and then second. they come back to life <laughs> oh no I gave too much away yeah so no I won't spoil it but I can so basically um the main character is Kara Frawler and she discovers something about her father who disappeared um, in the first book, and that leads her on a journey in the second book. And so the second book is centers in on her. She's like the main character, even though there's also Alexa and Sterlon, my other two main characters. But so the second book follows her story mostly, and then the third goes back to Alexa and Sterlon, two vital characters from the from the first book. And then my fourth book is a surprise. Not ready to talk about <laughs> that one yet. So. Oh, surprise horror. <laughs> yes. What are some of the like biggest things you've learned as a writer since starting this um, series at 14 and where you are now? Yeah. Um, I've learned how crucial editing is and like <laughs> not just going with the first draft. <laughs> That's been yep. a big thing. Um, so with my first one, I was kind of like, oh, it's good enough. And I like <laughs> independently published it. And like I do, I'm proud of my work and I do think that it is good. But there's definitely things that I'm like, okay, that's kind of a plot hole. I probably should have worked on that a little bit more. And then with my second one, I was able to be like, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And then with the third one, it's the same thing in the process of writing it. Um, I'm like, okay, so... I've got to fix that because that definitely like that's a plot hole. You know, even if the yeah. reader doesn't notice it, I as the author will, and yeah. so I just I want it to be like, good. I think that's it. It's so interesting to me because I talk to a lot of authors, um, and it is a, a a really like universal lesson to be learned of like don't just put out your first piece of work. You, yeah. you got to refine it. Yeah. And most likely it's going to be crap. So yeah. you need to you, be okay with that. Uh -huh. And and that's something that being an author has taught me a lot about how to be a better person because I have like I've had to make 
the choice that I'm going to go on this, you know, 100-mile journey, yep. and I'm not going to be at 100 miles after two steps. I have to take every single step to get to that finish line. And, um, and, and, and seriously, every author goes through that, sometimes in a hard way, sometimes in, a, in an easy way. But I think most independent authors, you, you get to be excited about something, and then you learn that, that it was bad. And then you get to be excited about the process of learning mm -hmm. how to be better. And then you eventually get to a place where you are at the finish line and you get to be like, yeah, now I'm proud of the process mm -hmm. of how I got here. And yeah, so definitely. it really is about the journey. It's not about the destination. Yeah, definitely. Do you think um, YA fantasy is kind of a, a genre you'll stick with? Or after this series, are you thinking about branching out at all? I don't know. I really, like, I love writing any kind of genre. And I like exploring and just like seeing what I can like do and just whatever comes out of my head, I just will write. But um, the fun thing about this series is that I actually based it off of a game that I played as a kid. Nice. I invented it. It was like one of those like just random games that like, you know, kids come up with. And it was really fun. Like when I became a teenager, I was like, oh, I, I used to like, I made up this whole world as a kid. I might as well like do something with that, you know? So I put that into a book and that's where the idea came from. And I think like because I have like that connection to like this story mm -hmm. and I don't really with any other stories but I would definitely like yeah I could branch out That's I don't awesome. really have a path right now but <laughs> so uh you just graduated high school yeah um do you have any other plans like are you going to school are yeah. you gonna try to like study writing or yeah. English no I am gonna be an English major but I'm actually gonna study environmental studies oh you nice. know yeah and then I'm going to Trinity Western University which is in DC Canada so wow. yeah so <laughs> definitely um, no I I thought about studying writing but I don't know and I might still you never know but <laughs> that's awesome I yeah. mean with like your it almost sounds like you're going down a Frank Herbert path yeah <laughs> yeah I can write but I know a lot more about the world <laughs> and now I'm gonna put that in my writing yeah I think no well, we'll see what happens but I'm just excited to just explore and go to university and yeah uh, there's a season for everything right yeah. like having that in your in your back pocket of like yeah I can achieve that yeah. when I want to do that yeah. but now I'm going to focus on something else I'm gonna learn I'm gonna explore I'm gonna change and become new um, and I think that's super important I think you're really cool for being someone who's like yeah I wrote a book and now I'm gonna move on to something else <laughs> yeah. you know, I think that's awesome yeah. Oh, yeah and I think no matter what I do like in my future I'm definitely gonna keep writing and I would like to just continue publishing I know that like I don't know how realistic that is but I would love to just I will always be writing even if I don't like publish anything else past the series or that's yeah. the nice thing about writing you can do it literally whenever and wherever yes. you want so. and I think a lot of people pigeonhole themselves a lot of times where it's like you've written your series and it's like oh I got to keep writing this mm -hmm. series or this style but as you grow and become a different person you should give yourself the allowances to try weird and new things that you want yeah. to do I I started write, writing horror and I've never written horror <laughs> in my entire life but I started writing I'm like giving myself chills I'm like this is so fun and now I know why Stephen King pumps like three of these out every year because it's fun to write this yeah. so like pushing yourself and and being like okay I don't I did that already let me try something else 
And as you learn more in school, as you grow and, be, and have new experiences, you're about to move away from your family. You're about to move to a different country. Yeah. Like that's, that's <laughs> fodder for really good storytelling. Yeah. So embrace that and do weird stuff. <laughs> I will. <laughs> well, Kira, uh, thank you so much for hanging yeah, out with us and talking about your book. Um, yeah. If people want to, to find your books or learn more about you, um, is there a good place for them to go? Yeah, so I do have a website. It is not public yet. Um, I So I'm working on that. But for now, my books are on Amazon. Um, that's a good place. And then I also have an Instagram webpage. If you look up the Paris Bright, you should find it. So Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thanks Thank for joining you so us. Much. Of course. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your festival. Okay. Yeah. Sell some books. I maybe, will. maybe sell out of books like I did. <laughs> it's an ambitious goal. <laughs> We are here with our second author of the afternoon, Miss Sarah Kraft. Welcome to the Between Lewis and Lovecraft podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. And you are the author of not one, not two, not three, but four novels. So that far? is that I is correct. I was yes. really hoping you were just going to keep going. Just keep going. Not all fifteen, the way to 10. not sixteen, not seventeen, <laughs> not eighteen, but nineteen books. <laughs> so hoping, hoping for that. Yeah, four one day. Novels. Um, when did your interest in writing start? You know, I've always, I've always written my parents owned a company in Clackamas and I used to sit as a child and write in the back room because my mother would run the front desk and my dad would run the shop so I started writing boy I don't remember I must have been nine or ten and I tried to write like 10 15 pages for a paper and you know my teacher at the time was like oh we asked you to write one page so that's kind of where it started and then for my senior project in high school I wrote a book and they weren't going to approve it because a lot of times kids didn't finish writing the book for the project but um, my English teacher came forth and said, no, she can do it. And I did. I wrote three books in one nice. summer for them. Three Very books cool. in one summer? Yes. And it That's was... That's some Isaac Asimov <laughs> stuff right Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> and it was cut down into just one single book versus three. And it was published several years later by a small press. Oh, my gosh. So the was that the first book that you published then? The, you know, it was actually the third book that was published, but it was the first book that I wrote. That's awesome. So, and it was probably my most popular book besides the one that I just released last year. Um, all these people here are making me feel terrible about myself. They're like, I know, we just talked to a, <laughs> oh, a by the high time school I was graduate. 18, I won a Nobel Peace Prize and wrote an entire series. So. Yeah, <laughs> our, our previous author was um, Kira Birch, who's over, her booth is over that way, and she published her first book when she was 16, and Tyler's just like... It's, it's messing with my mind. <laughs> hey, no. it takes time. It takes time to write a book. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> um, so... So your first novel that was published then, um, mm -hmm. that's Predator Girl, right? That is correct. And that came out in 2012? Yeah. Boy, you're making me feel I old. Now I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I thought I saw it. It was 2012 um, by, is it pronounced We Do Publishing? That is correct. Okay. They were a small press out of Salt Lake City. Mm, okay. So okay. can you talk a little bit about like your journey to publishing that first novel and going the traditional Oof. publishing route? It's it's such a long journey and it's such a hard journey because I mean, only they say like one out of 10,000 authors actually gets published. And I had, so my work had actually been read by a couple different people out of New York, out of Canada. And the gal who actually was the director for Paranorman, and I think it was Coraline, hmm. was interested in my work. But she oh had packed God. her list at the time, and she goes, well, can you contact me a year from now? And I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's see if I remember a year from now. But <laughs> by the time that happened, it had already found a publishing home. So. Oh, really? Oh, cool. wow. But it's, it's a long journey. Publishing is not for the faint of heart by any means. No. You have to keep going because you're going to get a lot of rejections. 
but it's it's entirely possible. I know that I think when I was first rejected, I was 18. I was 18 when I started querying publishing houses in New York, and I think part of the problem was that I was 18. But you just keep going, and I looked out because Widow had just started. They had just opened their doors, and I had seen them in some kind of a literary catalog, and I submitted, and they accepted me. That's, That's awesome. So cool. and do, you, do you feel like pub, or, uh, querying, especially at such a young age, had an effect on your personality? Like, did it did it change you and make you different, either a little bit more thick skin or, or anything like that, or did it... I think that I had already had thick skin by that point because I was that kid that was always picked on. I was mm. the kid that was always... I mean, it's it's hard growing up. So I think yeah. that by the time that I got into 18 and I started querying, I was like, well, we're just going to go for it. <laughs> Nothing like a little more rejection. So <laughs> you, you just, yeah, I think I wanted it at that point. And when you want something that much, it really, it does change you, especially when yeah. you're that young. I yeah. had gone through some really bad relationships as a very young teenager. And by the time I was 18, I was like, you know what? I think I want to do this. I want to write. I want to do this instead. Yeah. So you started querying at 18. How old were you when it was actually published? Um, I want to say 20 or 21. I wow. had just met my husband at that point. So, okay. yeah, I was 21. My first one got published. And um, why, or Widow or... Through Widow. Mm -hmm. Through Widow. Um, and they published your second book. And was that kind of part of the same series? or No. So the second book was actually the book from my senior project. Oh, really? And they were two separate series. It was going to be a complete series, but then a whole bunch of stuff went down in my 20s, and I never wrote the second or third book. So, but no, they're all, they're all different books. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what was the second one called? The second one was Markings, and okay. that was the senior project. And that was also a teen fantasy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I saw that you published one in 2016 called Xenophobia about aliens, which I felt was yes. like a very different um, direction from the fantasy genre. You know, it was totally inspired after I saw the movie Avatar in theaters, and I was like, wow, this is such a cool world. I want to design something like this. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so that book was kind of, that's pretty much what that was taken off of, was the amazingness of that world that James Cameron had built. Yeah. And it's funny because nobody really talks about xenophobia because it came out in a time in my life where everything was sort of falling apart. Like my parents had gotten divorced and I wasn't living at home. So I don't actually remember a whole lot about publishing the book. But I know saying, wow, I'm, I'm going to come back to this someday and write another one. So <laughs> and you just haven't yet. No, not yet. Well, I'm really interested in your most recent book, because um, that's, again, like another huge genre shift from what I would expect Very. from you. Um, so it's called Five Years Later. It came yes. out in 2020, and it's more of like a contemporary romance slash new adult it's fiction. It's totally not like anything else I have written. It's yeah. definitely contemporary. It's new adult kind of crossed over into adult and basically it's about facing trauma oh, yeah okay. and it's about overcoming yourself and overcoming family traumas and taking responsibility which when you're a young person i mean everybody talks about divorce like when you're a child but nobody talks about divorce like when you're trying to get into college and you're trying to start your life and be part of the world yeah i mean nobody tells you how hard that is like for me when my parents got divorced i had to leave college i didn't really have the choice of finishing college oh wow so you know that's it's huge and there was no books in the market at the time that I felt really described the challenge of dealing with someone that you love so much that wasn't there and yeah. dealing with all the fallout of family stuff. There's not a lot of books that talk about that war 
And I think people need to talk about it. And that age group, too, because I was a total YA fiction fan my entire childhood mm-hmm. through Me high too. school. But then when you get into your early 20s, it's like, do I really want to read about right. high schoolers still? Like, right. where's the, the books for people my age? Exactly. Going my problems. Um, and I feel like, you know, when I was in high school, that wasn't really a genre. And it's right. encouraging to see more people like you writing for young 20-somethings. We actually have, so in New York, they have like the new adult genre, which is coming out. But <laughs> our biggest problem right now is that it's mostly like, to be perfectly blunt, it's like college smut, like it's yeah. erotica yes. for college <laughs> students. And I'm like, but where's the rest of the college <laughs> reality? So that's definitely where my book fits in category for sure. That's awesome. And it's set in Oregon. And I, I yes. read some of the reviews. I haven't had a chance to read the book, but a lot of people really compliment like um, how you describe the natural scenery and the outdoors. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about, about how that plays into it? <laughs> it's definitely a love story for Oregon. It's it's an ode to my love of Oregon for sure. Nice. I mean, there's Hood River, there's Portland, there's Oregon City. There's all these places that... I've grown up in that I really wanted to bring to the forefront and um so when they when they make the movie they need to get the same directors that did uh, <laughs> Twilight right because yes. they film most of it in Oregon right so oh, you know maybe just, maybe yeah. <laughs> um so this was your first time independently publishing right that is correct can, can you talk to us a little bit about why you decided to go that route and like what the different challenges were you know pros and cons pros and cons so I left Widow Publishing because our CEO who actually owned and started the company died he died of cancer about four years ago mm. and um They've tried to, you know, bring it back up to par, but they're kind of shifting more to self-publishing versus traditional publishing, which is the whole reason I wanted to go with them in the first place. Interesting. So I still really respect the company. I think it's a good company, but at that point, if it's all self-publishing, then I'd rather have all the control over it. Yeah. So I did the cover. I hired an editor. I actually, there's an editor out of New York who accepted me to work with her. Nice. And so we worked on editing the book together and she's actually, she's edited New York Times bestseller. She's edited can I can I ask? Uh, yeah. I'm I'm working on the Penny Lich um, every month, and and I have an editor, um, and and he's great. Um, but there's sometimes where he suggests something, or he's like, "Hey, take this out," or, you know, whatever. And I like fundamentally disagree with it. I'm like, that's no, really that's, common, you know. And or like, or it's a joke because it's comedy, right? Right. And he's like, "It's it's tired. Don't do that joke anymore," or something. And I'm like. But the more I do it, the funnier it gets. And if you don't get that, that's fine. Right. But it's my humor. So when you're working with someone that you're paying money to right. to tell you their opinion of your book mm-hmm. and like it's like, hey, this is what's going to be good or not. How do you deal with something where you fundamentally disagree with or you really are like, I cannot take that out or I cannot change that? You know, it's hard because I went through that with my own editor where like there were certain parts or certain phrases or certain things that like Oregonians solely would probably get and somebody out of New York is going to go, what is she even talking about? Yeah. So it comes to, it's such a pros and cons. There's so many things that she cut out in my editing that I was like, oh, okay, well, that totally makes sense. I don't really like it, but it makes sense. But I mean, if it's something strictly that's important to you and yeah. important to the core of the book, I'd fight for it. Yeah. And and, mm-hmm. and I and we do that. You know, there's times where he's like, you don't need this. And when it comes to grammar, when it comes to like, he's like, you're running on, you're you're putting in stuff that's not right. necessary. I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. This is what I pay you to watch out for. But mm-hmm. there, it, it just, it feels weird when I'm like, it's hard for me to say, to, to fight for something when I'm telling you to tell me to get rid of stuff. So I didn't know what that was right. like in a situation where he's he's a friend of mine, he is a publisher, but he's mm-hmm. a friend of mine. So it's easier for me to say, nah, I'm gonna keep my stuff. Right. Whereas in this situation, you found an editor who's like, 
you're not friends. You're not. You, right, you had to right. fight to get them as an editor. Right. It's it's so hard. It's such a fine line. I mean, like I said, if there's something that you really want to fight for that you feel is important to the core, yeah, I would fight for it. But it's hard because these people, if they're in publishing, then they they know the audience a lot of the times like yeah. my gal there was a couple spots where we fought over and there was a couple spots where we had to negotiate and mm. so sometimes you have to do that you have to negotiate well i really need this so can you tell me how to tighten this up yeah. versus if it's too long or tell me why does this not make sense to you we had to communicate several times on several parts of the book yeah and, I'm, and yeah. I'm all, i would always be paranoid that they're gonna be like well if you don't like it you can find someone else has that ever happened to you is that no. ever come? okay Mm-mm. again i i don't know i because sure. i haven't worked with someone of like high caliber I guess Mm -hmm. and who I do work with if he said no I'm not going to do this anymore I'd be like ah shut up I mean a good editor I mean it's hard because like if New York takes you on and they're going to cut something out of your book oh they're going to cut it out of the book you know but but I think especially if you go small I mean one of the important things is when you're going small you can make some of those changes and keep some of those aspects of your book Mm -hmm. and some people that really works for I mean look at Dr. Seuss the man was rejected for how he wanted to write his books over and over and over and over and over and now he's one of the most famous authors on the planet yeah so yeah yeah we need to do a Dr. Seuss episode and now that you've gone into independent publishing like do you think that's where you will stay you know, I've thought about that for a long time. I love that I had the con- the total control of the marketing, the publishing, all of those things. So par- I think for right now, I probably will stay put. I've made more money on this book than I have in any of my previous ones because I have, I've decided how everything is going to go. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're a small publisher or a small author, I would stick, especially with Amazon publishing and things like that. You're going to do, you're going to have more tools that way mm-hmm. versus if you get handed over to some of these other small publishing companies, you don't have as much control. And if you're in New York, you have very little control. Right. So at least that's what I've heard. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's there's a years long gap between like your third book and your your current book. What else are you doing in the meantime? I know uh, you've got your like fabulous art and jewelry. Can you tell I us do. About that? Yes, I do a lot of designing. I do hand drawings that I've turned into different fashion prints. I run a very small fashion business out of Portland. Um, I do all my own handmade polymer jewelry, so that's super fun. And then I work full time for a jewelry store out of Clackamas. Oh, that's awesome. How do all of those experiences kind of like contribute to your writing, if at all? You know. I think that the last 10 years, I think a lot of those things, the art's just totally separate for me, I think, from my writing. My writing has to do with, like, my own personal life and the family tribulations that we've gone through. It's and like so a cathartic process. That it you, really yeah, is. And yeah. at the time, like, we couldn't talk about it, a lot of stuff that was happening in our family because yeah. it was still so fresh and new and everybody had their own emotions to process. So at that point, I was like, well, I'm just going to write about this. I'm going to write about this because there's got to be other people out here that are experiencing this. Yeah. When you write about it, um, does your family read it and then be like, oh, hey, that's totally our drama you're, you're putting in there? I have some people that read it and go, oh, my God, am I in the book? Is this me in the book? And I'm like, I'm not legally allowed to tell you that part. And there's some people that are like, nope, I just can't read it. I just can't do it. So, there's, a, there's a sitcom that started uh, a couple of years ago where the premise is it's three siblings and the, the oldest is an author. And... He needs an idea for a book, so he just starts looking at the family. And so every episode, he's like writing <laughs> about his family, and then they find out that he's been writing about them, and it's a whole thing. It's a really good show, and now I'm 
really mad home ec- economics is what it's called i feel and like i've heard of that actually it's, yeah it's really good uh, just with what you're doing in your life i highly suggest it i think a lot of us write about our families and we're like well we're going to change this person's name to bob so that <laughs> bob doesn't know we're writing about him yeah but you know the yeah. bob self-wear and uh, you know, like yeah i think that was me i, I think, think it was rob funny because me yeah. <laughs> my boss appeared very briefly in my book and it was so funny because he actually read the book and he comes and he goes I better be this person. You better tell me I'm this person. And he goes, you should make me bigger and buffer in this book, though. So it was super cute. At least he liked his portrayal for the I know, most I was part. Like, oh, okay. I didn't know you were going to read it, but awesome. Yeah. Well, are you working on any other books? Um, is, is there going to be a sequel to Five Years Later? Is that a there, standalone? I'm hoping to have a sequel to Five Years Later. I There's so many other parts of that story that I want to continue writing for people because it's a lot about the healing process, and obviously your healing process isn't going to be covered in one book. What? So... <laughs> I would like to write another for sure when I have some time. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm super thrilled that you were able to come over and honestly the little bit of advice that I've gotten from you for mm-hmm. the editing process, huge for me. Oh so, yeah. And Paul's gonna listen to this and be like, the hell man. <laughs> you totally threw me under the bus. Yeah, I'm not a real hell? editor. <laughs> it's it's so hard. I mean it kinda of depends on where your focus is too. Like if your sole goal is to get into New York or get into a big publishing house, you're probably gonna have to cut a lot cut. of things and live by a more normalized standard per se sure. but I mean if you choose to go press, like you're doing yes. it for yourself so. right if yeah. you do indie press then roll with it yeah you know did your editor also do copy editing or was it more like large scale stuff um we did all of it she did all of she it she did all of it that's I really respect that because one of the the biggest problem like I love independent publishing because it allows people to get into the industry it takes out the gatekeepers but there is the counterpart that like editors (laughs) do clean up books a lot and they really do yeah you can notice sometimes a quality difference if somebody independently published their first draft and didn't have anybody look at it so I think that's really cool that you actually were willing to to invest in your book and fork over the cash to pay I, a professional. This book of all the books I wrote was so important to me that I was like, okay, we're just going to do it right and we're going to do yeah. it right the first time. And it's so funny because I wrote a book when I was like 17 called Taste of Silver, which I think is still somewhere out there in the world. <laughs> and I'm going, oh God, no one read that. No one look at that one. Oh yep. my God, look at the draft on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I misspoke earlier. Five books out in the world. <laughs> Sort of, sort of. We'll keep that one under wraps. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming over and chatting with us. Um, yeah. If people want to find your work or learn more about you, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, the best place to find me is probably going to be online. You can type in Five Years Later by Sarah Craft, and it, all the reviews will come up with it. The book will come up. Um, we do have a website. It's the official sbboom.yolasite.com, which is sporadically kept, I'll be totally honest. <laughs> Because um, that was your, your previous name that you were writing under, right? Correct. My maiden name. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yes. So I'm a little bit all over the place. I'm on Amazon as well. So you can find me under Rosenboom or under Craft. Awesome. Right. Cool. Thank you yeah. for joining us. Thank you so much, you guys. Alrighty, we are recording again, and we're joined by yet another person who's going to give me an existential crisis and make me rethink my entire career as an author. And that person is Kristen Davis. Thank you for joining us, Kristen. Thank you for having me. So can you uh, just briefly introduce yourself? Where are you from and what do you do? Uh, Yeah, I'm Kristen. I am from Portland, Oregon, and I currently... I'm writing children's books uh, about the power of our words. So I used to teach and now I'm writing. (laughs) Uh, Can you talk a little bit about 
why you decided to write? Did you always write or did it come from being a teacher and interacting with young children? It came from being a teacher and interacting with the young children. Um, I, while I was teaching, I had a lot of times where I was stressed out and I start, learned eventually where the words I was using were part of what was stressing me out. So once I started reframing thoughts in my mind, um, I realized it affected my classroom. And from there, the way the kids were listening, the way they were interacting, um, once I started working on the words that I was saying and I was thinking, it, um, it helped. And I loved reading books to my class. So, um, so yeah, when I was reading books to my class, I would usually look for a certain topic on something we were working on. And then, uh, yep, I wanted to have a book that talked about our words and that, so I decided to write one. <laughs> That's really cool. Do you need us to pause? No. Okay. <laughs> um, did you have any background in like, uh, you know, therapy or psychology or anything? Um, like what made you so, uh, I guess like, so concentrated on the power of your words and how that impacted your teaching? Uh, while I... This could go back a, a ways, but if we, <laughs> but go back to where it really stemmed from when I was in kindergarten, I did not talk. Um, I got my teacher ended up paying me to talk, and so. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Um, did you talk at home? I it did. just wasn't at school. Yeah. So my teacher, she even um, mentioned to my mom that I'm. I may want to go into special education. My mom was like, mm, she talks all the time at home. She's okay. <laughs> it's just at school I was choosing not to talk. I was very particular in who I talked to. <laughs> so anyway, um, I lost track of where I was going. <laughs> oh, just like, oh, welcome uh, to I'd the team. You. Yeah, that's going to happen a lot. I here. think I'd ask, like, what led you to be so conscientious about oh, that and, and yeah. recognize in yourself how your words mattered? Yeah, so. I, in a way, I've been choosy with my words to begin with, but also because I was quiet, like, we're, stories spiraled in my head quite a bit. They didn't come out of my mouth, but they were in spiral in my head. And um, I, a few years back, took a, started learning, doing some personal development work, and that's where I learned about how if you change just some of those words that we're saying, it can change how you feel. And so things like instead of focusing on what you don't want, talking about what you do want, um, simple little shifts like that were really affecting how I felt. Um, a big one was I didn't realize this was happening until I started learning about my words was I was blaming this imaginary day. Mm. And I didn't realize it. Um, I thought it was my bosses. I was mad at all the time. <laughs> and so then one day I stopped and I asked myself, like, who, who are these they I'm mad at? There was nobody. I could picture no one in my mind. I was like, cool. So I'm just making up these people that are ruining my life. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. It's a pretty interesting thought because I think naturally we do that, right? Yeah. It's a It's a tribalistic thing that we do we have to create an, another entity so that we can stay in ourselves and, and be comfortable right and uh, I think that breaking out of that is the most important thing that any one person can do because you start to open yourself up to the world around you a little mm -hmm. bit more um, I know that and we don't have to go super deep into it we're at a festival we're having a good time but like in my faith and and where I am in my life 
that's a huge part of my process of, of deconstructing everything to understand why and like looking at the thems, the days, the, mm -hmm. the barriers that I've created so that I can feel comfortable not approaching people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and like you said, kind of getting rid of this vague external enemy and taking like mm -hmm. ownership over your own life and your own choices and yep. thinking of all the good things that can happen instead of the bad things. Yeah. And how it's just simple little shifts that could go um, from like, this is the worst day ever to it was a bad, it was the worst moment of my life, but yeah. the rest of the day was decent. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, that is an interesting point too like they're, they're, those terrible days are really just moments that's yeah. really cool yeah. I like that a lot so um, Abracadabra I Know What To Do came out in November of last year 2021 yes. mm -hmm. right can you tell us about that book yeah so the book goes uh, along what we were just talking about where there's this little girl who everything's going great and then um, a wrench is thrown in where her parents say hey we're moving and once they moved, she started to realize there were a lot of changes that she wasn't expecting. So in that, she was ha she was struggling and learned had um, there was a character who came and taught her about how small little shifts in her language can change her perspective. So <laughs> um, so anyway, with the change in the perspective she was able she was able to shift her words and realize like oh this isn't terrible i my life wasn't ruined by this move but i i am able to make new friends or try new things so it was yeah it's about taking small shifts to change our words so that it can help change our perspective that's awesome what age range is it targeted toward Four to nine for the book. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's got these fabulous illustrations. Um, can, like, how did you find the illustrator? Was it a friend or, or did you seek them out? So I, some I see, I was seeking her out. It was a little bit of a magical circumstance that happened on Instagram. So uh, oh. <laughs> I, um, I saw her do live. Um, and so I reached out to her. She had a young daughter, and I had just thrown together some pages of the, the book that I wanted. So it wasn't, like, fully written yet? No, I had it, I had it written, but I also had thrown together just, like, this little hand-drawn oh, okay. thing that I did on my own. <laughs> that was um, me telling my, getting myself, like, I'm doing this. I believe in myself. So nice. I had a bigger vision, but I knew I wasn't the one to illustrate. My <laughs> patience is not that good <laughs> with drawing. Yeah. So um, found out she was a graphic designer, and I was building the brand Language Ninjas, and I needed a logo. So I reached out to her for that, and then um, eventually started talking about illustrations. Mm. And so she became the illustrator, and... Yeah, we're working on our second book right now, and every time she sends me pictures, I like it makes me so happy. <laughs> nice, cool. How did you approach um, writing for a younger audience? Did that come pretty naturally, or did were there struggles? So, I, on the one hand, I may have a few too many words for a picture book, because <laughs> some picture books are super short. Uh, mine's a little longer. Um, However, I was inspired by the books that I would choose for my class when I was writing. So when mm. I started writing, I had the five-year-olds that I was working with in mind. Um, and so 
uh, yeah, I had I had them in mind and I, and the inspiration from other books that I had read to them. What were some of um, the books that you were drawing inspiration from? Like, what were you reading to your classes? So there, there's two that really stand out. Um, Susan Verde has books like I Am Yoga, I Am Love, I Am Peace, which are all mindfulness books that I was picking up to read to the kids to help them calm themselves and breathe. Um, Always a challenge be, giving, with five-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, giving them some of those tools to settle down on their own. Um, and then... Peter Reynolds, who also was the illustrator for um, the Susan Verde books, he has some books of his own that talk about, um, he's got some that talk about words, like he's got a book called Word Collector, um, and then he has other ones that are about making mistakes, and it's okay to make mistakes. Um, So them, and then Todd Parr has these amazing brightly colored books for kids, so simple, and all about like embracing your uniqueness and things like that. That's awesome. So you had a lot of good inspiration. Yeah. Um, and you, of course, went the self-publishing route for mm-hmm. this book. Um, why did you choose that? Did you try to go traditional at all? Uh, so when I was at the very beginning of the journey, I had somebody, she basically sat me down and was like, here are your options. Um, so you could go the publishing route. These are the steps that you would take. Um, this is the type of effort that would need to go into it or you can do self-publishing. And so, like with a publisher, you might see money faster from that, but there's gonna be some more work. You gotta prove to them that, you you gotta reach out to people, they gotta accept you. And they're gonna take a a percentage of every book that you write. You go self-publishing, there's gonna be a lot more upfront work. You're doing it on your own, um, but these are the benefits there. And, for about a year, I had somebody that was talking with me about the publishing, like he was going to help me find somebody for the publishing mm-hmm. route. But eventually it, I was like, you know what? I need to do, I want to do this on my own mm-hmm. to prove to myself that I can. So you can and you did. I can and I did. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. What has the reception been like to the book? I know it's only been out for less than a year now, mm-hmm. but it's been very, um, very good reception with it. Uh, there is. So I did a coaching program, which is partially what helped, what not helped, but inspired me to write the book about the words. And it has a big community there. So a lot of them are very excited about the book and they're, they're telling all their friends about it. And then um, anybody that I talk to that this is new to as well are very receptive and um, yeah, have great conversations with them about it. That's awesome. Um, and you mentioned that you are currently working on a, a second one. Um, it's called My My Words Are My Wand. Can yes. you tell us about that? Yeah, so that one, um, toward the end of the first book, our main character, Olive, she meets somebody that she te- she passes on the knowledge of, mm. like, our words are powerful. So the next book is about him and his story and how he learns how his his words are affecting his life. So there's, he's got a few different lessons that he learns, um, focusing more on the blaming part that we talked about mm. earlier. <laughs> so yeah, like how when we're blaming others, we're giving away our power. So yeah. he learns how to take his power back through his words. That's awesome. I Sounds think that's like a really Han- good message for kids. Hannah's grandma is probably going to want me to read this so that I stop cursing on our show so much. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, your words have power, Tyler. Uh, exactly. Use nice words. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Um, and that one you're self-publishing as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I saw you set up like a GoFundMe or something to raise money to to cover like the printing costs or illustrations. Yeah, so I have a GoFundMe to help with the publishing costs mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, just anyth- anything helps, really, <laughs> because there, it is a decent out of pocket it's all up front there yeah. we go right yeah. especially yeah. when you're doing children's books mm-hmm. because there's so much like you have to print it in color and that's right people don't yeah. think about it but that's a lot more expensive than just doing black and white yeah. text right yeah um so do you think writing is kind of where you want to to stay focused right now or are you still teaching and doing other stuff like that so i stepped away from um teaching in the actual like school type setting yeah. and uh, now my focus is more toward working with parents um, and kids so I've been creating resources for kids uh, to, for parents or teachers to use with their kids to help them um, I have recently created emotional an emotions toolkit which helps parents or whoever, whatever adults are working with the kids to um, help kids reframe what they're saying, but also while what they're saying, noticing how it feels in the body. So like if they're saying, I can't do this, like how, where are you feeling that in your body? How does it feel? And can we take that and um, say something that feels a little bit better? So tying in how our words affect our emotions and how our emotions are felt in our body. I I read The Whole Brain Child Mm -hmm. um, right before my son was born. And I could not believe how much I loved that book. Um, and I'm probably going to reread it soon because, you know, there's stuff that I can take from it now. But yeah. really, it's when he starts to become a toddler and, and actually, you know, emote a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, and I'm like, I've told Rebecca, pro- my wife, probably every month. I've been like, you got to read this book. You got to read this book because it's really good. And I love that because it sounds a lot like what that book does, mm-hmm. where it it breaks down you know, it kind of puts into quarters the the high high brain, the low brain, you know, the emotional and the logical and being able to access those points of the body mm-hmm. or the brain, the thought process, and then being able to not manipulate, but like, you know, being able to change that so that you can communicate better and, and being a parent who is understanding of a child who is in that primal part of the brain, mm-hmm. of, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about, let's figure out why you can't. So I really love that. I, I absolutely do. And is the is that toolkit, is that something people can just, just buy online? Yeah, so I have it on my website online. That's a, it's a d- digital downloadable resource. Okay. So, yeah. No, I'm definitely 100% going to go and buy that. Like, maybe not right now, but huh. as soon as my son starts talking to me, I'm like, oh, I got to go buy that thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, stop talking. I have to go yeah. get the yeah. emotional toolkit first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one thing I used to work with um, in childcare. And so a lot of these things can be used so simply so early, but yeah. one thing, if you notice with kids too, one of their first words is no. Yeah. And it's because it's so easy to say what you don't want. Yeah. It's harder to simplify what you do want. So yeah. um, I'm also, working on helping parents with finding those simpler words like instead of don't hit use gentle hands so something that's almost as short because it's so easy to say what you don't want those are short like no stop (laughs) so and and i try actively now even when i'm when my son is doing something when he's crying you know i'll be like no 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 and like i say it just like that 
where like he'll be sitting there in his little plaything and he's crying because he wants milk and I'm like no 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 okay bud look I'm making you milk right now and I start to explain to him and he doesn't know uh-huh. right he's he's five months old so he doesn't know but my hope is that as I as he gets older he knows that when I say no there's more to it like it's it's not just no because uh-huh. I hate that and and when I when he gets older and he goes okay dad's dad said no and he always explains to me why he's saying no and he starts to understand that that there's that communication there of, mm-hmm. of more like okay explain why yeah um, and and hoping that that helps develop in him the ability to explain his emotions and go okay this is what I'm going through mm-hmm. I, I don't know maybe it's a it's a hail mary but like that's just <laughs> where I'm at where I I can't help but do that because I can't just say no stop right. whining at me part of me working through being annoyed is talking through it and being like okay you see the milk I'm getting the milk I'm gonna put it in there so you can stop whining at me please stop whining please stop okay I'm gonna I'm taking the milk out putting it in the water you see the, you see what I'm doing here bud yeah I love you but you gotta stop you know like ex- and and working through it and it helps sometimes because he stops crying because I'm being so like uh-huh. characteristic and uh and 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 then it helps me kind of filter through my own emotions yeah. sometimes like why am i angry there there's a game in, or a rule of improv um instead of no but yes, yes and, and. Yep. and that one i've after learning that using with kids where it's like where i want to be like no just i'm like <laughs> yes what you say is correct and what i want you to know is that i'm going <laughs> to add this thing so yeah i've <laughs> never thought about using improv uh-huh. with my son but now i'm 100 percent <laughs> going to do that that's so funny that's i love improv it's like one of my favorite things to do and now I'm going to implement it into my uh-huh. parenting. It's fun. It, it really does take, like, because no, there's, for me, there's a tightness up here. Yeah. Where, yes, it opens more. So even with no but, it's like, no. But with yes and, it's like, okay, yes if, if and. You decide to write, <laughs> if you decide to write a book about the improv technique for parenting. There we go. Put me down for beta reading okay. so I can test that out on my son. Sounds good. I yeah. like this. <laughs> this is a good idea. Well, um, in the meantime, where can people find out more about you and your mm-hmm. work? Where can they order Abracadabra um, and and uh, st- stay tuned for updates on your words are your one or my yeah. words are my one? Yeah, the best place to get information at Instagram uh, at Language Ninjas and okay. then uh, the abracadabra i know what to do is available on amazon easiest place to find it um there, you can also go to your local bookstore though online yeah. and yeah. through bookshop.org you can find it there supporting both the local bookstore and abracadabra i know what to that's do. really I love cool that. yeah every time i've run out of uh penny lich over here um and so now i'm telling people like i say you can find it on amazon and then i quickly i'm like stop telling people to go to amazon <laughs> no, you can it get it at the book nook you yeah, know and, yes. and get it here in town yeah that's great <laughs> well Kristen, thank you so much for joining us it was a pleasure yeah, yeah it really was you. i really appreciate your time So we are here with um, John Madden, who is the illustrator of a children's book called Letters of the West. How are you doing, John? Doing good. Good. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what led you to um, illustrating a children's book? 
Well, I graduated from the uh, Pacific Northwest College of Art in Portland in 1991 and uh, bummed around Portland, did some freelance illustration, met my wife in uh, 2002, and uh, we started uh, hammering out uh, the possibility of me doing a, an illustrated book. There was a, there was a book... Uh, illustrator she's still doing stuff today her name is Nikki McClure and we saw this ABC book of, of hers uh, around the time our, our, our daughter was born and uh, we thought well hey we could we could do that and so <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every author every book creator of any kind that's the what they, they all go I could do that yeah yeah well in my <laughs> case I, I was just like hmm, well that why not do that so I started uh, working on the illustrations, and um, a couple years later, we had it all together, and we shopped it around to a couple small publishers, and luckily, one of them just happened to uh, uh, need a new, uh, a new book in their, in their line, and they, hmm. Craigmore Creations. And they're based in Portland, correct? Uh, they're based in Portland. At the time, they had a, a an entire line of of uh, children's books under a, the, the the little naturalist, I think is that was what is what they were calling it. Oh, nice! And uh, he he only just does his own material now. So we got in right at the right time, and uh, we submitted it to uh, a number of. Uh, award outfits and uh, it got nominated for the Oregon Spirit Award. That's awesome. That's really cool. So it came out in 2014, yes. right? And then the next year was when it was nominated for the award? Yes. That's so cool. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the book. So it's like, it's an ABC's book basically. Yes. Um, your illustrations are Scratchboard, um, which Correct. can you kind of talk about that technique? Well, Scratchboard was um, created by English printmakers in the late 1800s. They were trying to come up with an inexpensive way to mimic the uh, artistic effects of steel engraving and woodcut, mm -hmm. which are very labor-intensive when it gets to the printing process. So they came up with um, getting a layer of a very thin board, and, they put, and you put a layer of white clay across that. And you polish it really smooth, and then you put on ink, and you scratch off the ink. So it's subtractive, kind of. Exactly. Okay. So that's you You did that, and then did you use, like, Photoshop or something to color the illustrations? Yeah. I uh, scanned, scanned them into my computer and took them into Photoshop and did a number on them there. Well, and it looks awesome. It's a really unique stuff. I think it's a little more, like, fine arts almost than typical children's books. You know, children's books are often kind of cartoony, and I like that yours is... Um, like it looks like naturalist art more. I'm kind of a fan of those old Victorian era naturalist diaries and whatnot. Mm -hmm. you, you see those old things and it's, it's parchment and very, very finely done pen and ink illustrations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very cool. And it's, that, it's always been at the back of the, my mind to do something like that. So um, our, our next book, uh, we're, we're taking that step even a little bit further. We're trying to find a publisher for that one right now. It's that one will be called Naturalist Numbers, and uh, the so facing a counting page, book. Yeah, that will be a counting book, a one through ten counting book about 
interesting anatomy in, in, in the animal world. And uh, for example, number three is the three hearts of the octopus. Nice. Uh, number five is the five teeth of the sea urchin. Nice. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, so it gets. Yeah, I had to get a little creative, and I had to do a lot of searching to find the. What's uh, the one hundred? What is? No, it only goes through ten. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't want to go quite that far. <laughs> I, I thought just one through ten would be would be enough. But the the facing page uh, to the artwork with the text is uh, I uh, put that on a kind of a parchmenty background with. Pen and with with line illustration oh, yeah. on nice. that to make it look more like the old Victorian. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. cool. That's really really cool. What so. is the uh, the writing and art art artistic uh, process like with your wife? Like, do you guys have any conflict? Is it pretty cohesive and smooth sailing? Pretty cohesive and smooth sailing. There were there were a couple times where we we kind of hmm, what are we going to do next for this one? And she really wanted. Uh, the X to be something a bit different, and so did I, because you look through um, ABC books, and just about everything is either xylophone or X-ray. Yeah. <laughs> and which would have worked because X-ray which, is an animal. Which would have worked, yeah. You know, what? X-ray is an animal? The, or sorry, sorry, I was thinking stingray. Oh, okay. Stingray. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Be the stingray. And um, manta ray. So no, it would not have yeah. worked. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's the thought that yes. counts, I guess. But uh, she would. She spent some time down in in um, Death Valley uh, when she was in college, and uh, she. That's where she came across the concept of the uh, uh, of the Xeriscape, which is a low water garden. Oh, okay. The idea being that you just use the natural plants native to the region that you're in. Yeah. And that way, you're not you're not using so much water to keep them green and happy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, all these lawns that you see everywhere, they take up a lot of water. Right. Yeah. She was ahead of her time too, because xeriscapes are very in right now. As people like very start to in. think more about drought and conserving water. Yep. Wow. You, you drive around Portland now, and there's all kinds of xeriscape lawns yeah. all over the place. Wow. You guys were very ahead of the curve. Well, I, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome that uh, you work together pretty well on that. And and there wasn't a lot of uh, art illustrator I mean, I, I think it's awesome. Conflict. I think it's cool that you guys were able to come together and create something through your, I mean, through your marriage is, is, is awesome. I, my wife and I, we have been talking about writing a book together. And even if we never actually do it, what it's created for us is almost an inside joke, you know, where (laughs) we, we, every time we see something that's related to that book, that idea of that book, we can laugh about, even though it doesn't exist, you know? And, and I've talked to her about like, Hey, maybe we should actually write this someday. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I guess we could, but it's so much fun for us to be able to be like, Oh, remember that thing from the book? And it's like, Oh yeah, totally. And like, we get to have fun with it, but to actually create something, put it out into the world and say, yeah, we did this together. Like, that's really, really cool. I always wanted to try to leave something behind when, you know, I leave this mortal coil. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it the book hasn't sold hotcakes. It hasn't sold like wildfire, but it has sold, and it's out there. And so, 
if I can create some more books and get them published, that'd be that'd be great too. That's awesome. Yeah, that'd well, be awesome. Um, so you mentioned that you've written and illustrated naturalist numbers. Um, are you like looking at self-publishing that? Are you waiting for the right opportunity? We may have to go the self-publishing route because COVID pretty much shut down the entire publishing industry in the yeah. United States. And even now, you know, two years after it, you're, it's very difficult trying to find any single publisher who has who is willing to take submissions mm-hmm. or they uh, give you the double the double binder there of, of uh, requiring an, an agent yeah. Oh, yeah yeah and then on top of that you, you try to go to an agent and they want you to already be published first so yep. <laughs> Uh, who's writing this catch twenty two here? To know? get work. Uh huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if you self publish, then they're like, "Well, you're you're just an amateur." It's like, yeah, but it's the only way There's I can no put winning. something out well, there. Well, you know, you, you do hear about the uh, a small number of of self published books that actually made it big after they had so many online sales that the the big publishers just said, hmm, well, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe we should have published that in the first place. Yeah, yeah. they see the dollar signs that they're missing course. out on. Of it's, course, uh, it's, it's always that bottom line there. Well, uh, I, I hope you are able to um, put naturalist numbers out there into the world. Just seeing your art over at your booth, I, I, I've already said how much how I appreciate that as, like, Kind of a way of shaking up the traditional children's book style. I like seeing that that form of art make its way in there. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I think uh, maybe, anyone... uh, maybe adults like are drawn to it more too, as not just a children's book, but almost like a coffee table book of art. We get a lot of comments like that from from parents, not not just their their children enjoying it, but mm-hmm. parents liking liking the artwork. Exactly. And. Uh, if anyone out there wants to see some more of my stuff, they can go to johndmaddenart.com. And can you spell your name, too? That is John, J-O-H-N-D, Madden, M-A-D-D-I-N, awesome. art.com. Fantastic. And um, does Michelle have any other uh, work or, or um, writing that she's Michelle, like to plug? Michelle uh, does some writing as, as a... a she, she writes a blog, and she is also just got uh, hired on as a, as a copywriter. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, Well, yeah. thank you, John, for joining us so much. It was great hearing about the process of, of writing and illustrating this with your wife. That's awesome to, to hear a collaboration story like that. Well, thank you, and thank you for having us. I made it back. Sorry, I had to sell some books. I just ended it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was I'm going to sync that up to the audio of the music and it's going to be perfect you're basically a piano right now yeah Uh, we're back in the studio I hope you guys enjoyed those interviews okay good job (laughs) way to bounce off of that good job (laughs) that's some good improv right there Yes, and. I don't do yes, that. And. No. <laughs> yes, and. No, it was awesome talking to all of those talented writers and um, artists to kind of round out the group there. Um, yeah, and I really enjoyed hearing just the different perspectives that go into it. I think 
I learned a lot more about independent publishing from them because it's really, it's something that I've never considered for myself personally, um, but hearing the different reasons why each of them went that route um, and how, you know, one of them talked about how she went the extra mile to hire a professional editor from who who had worked with the New York from New City York. publishing houses. Yeah, she's like a New York editor, which I feel like means nothing to people who don't know anything about the publishing industry, but it's like all the uh, big publishing houses are based in New York. So that's where all the top talent goes. It took everything inside of me not to do a New York accent while we were recording with her i'm really proud of you i don't you know she doesn't know us that might have weirded her out a little bit that and i was easily distracted while we were recording because normally i'm in my studio i'm alone (laughs) and i can focus on the jokes that people love to hear from me (laughs) uh but out in out in the real world i'm like a cat (laughs) yeah it's really hard recording live interviews in a chaotic setting like that. Like, I think I underestimated how difficult it would be to concentrate because there's just movement and Mm -hmm. noise all around you and children um, who want to come up and start talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh, at one point, Frankie's kid. Hi, Uncle Tyler. That was great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had to do some serious audio work to try and get the, uh, the, the concert that was going on behind us out of our recording. Which I'm like, hey, next time, um, don't have us record while we're while there's a concert going on. Maybe is a good idea. Just saying. Maybe. And yeah, I mean, it was like it, right behind us. Well, I think we were on the very edge of the the park too, so I don't think we could have gotten any farther away from the stage. Yeah. And yet, it still showed up in the recording. Yeah, and I had to like. I had to ask them, the organizers, to, like, there was one car that, like, was parked. It was, like, a nice car that was parked right in front of us, and it kept, like, turning on and off. And I had to be like, hey, tell him not to do that. Well, and by nice car, (laughs) you mean, like, a nice antique car. That was the problem, that its engine sounded like you were at a drag race. Yeah, exactly. And he kept, like, he was showing it off. Obviously, that's what he was doing doing there. But I'm like... Um, not while I'm recording, please. <laughs> I would like to go ahead and make that statement known. Um, so yeah, so that was fun. We hope you guys enjoyed that. What What's the last thing we're going to do here today, Hannah? Well, just to close it out, you know, we've had all this positive energy from writers who are excited about their work and their books, but I thought we'd close it on a negative note and hear from some people who really, <laughs> really hated some books that we've talked about on our show. Yeah. So we did this in the last chill episode. I'm going to read you some segments of reviews and you're going to try to guess uh, which book slash author it's talking about. All right. I feel like this is turning into like an actual game and I'm all the way here for it. Like, yeah, I think that we should start looking into publishing our own game and it's just going to be bad reviews or some <laughs> shit like that. Bad reviews. I mean, there's a lot of places you could go with that. You could do literature, movies, uh-huh. music, yeah. food. Uh-huh. Yeah, this I, could be I a whole franchise. I think we should stick with books and movies. But yeah, let's let's see how this plays out and then <laughs> um, and then we'll figure out a way for our folks at home to play. Okay. Well, I think this first review is not really... It's not going to give you a lot to guess off of, unfortunately, but I just really related to it. So here we go. All right. 
pain in written form. Each page was a curse. <laughs> oh my god. Good I've Lord. had to go I've had to go into therapy to help rediscover my love of words, sentences, and paragraphs. Avoid. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, I wait. I hold this... on. I gotta figure out what. But I mean, I first off, the only the only book that I could think of that someone would be so like ingrained on hating, I would think would be Twilight. No, not that one. Mm. You might get it. So I've got three. I think the next two are gonna be kind of obvious. Um, but. Let's see. This is, without a doubt, the single most overrated book in the English language. Granted, this doesn't mean that it is completely valueless, but considering its exalted reputation, it's amazingly close. Meanwhile, author's style is horribly obtuse, overwordy, and convoluted to say nothing of pretentious. As an example, in the chapter, The Whiteness of the Blank, author spend seven and a half pages, including a 469 word sentence that takes up just one of those pages saying nothing more complex than that. Although white is frequently considered a good color in the case of book title, it is a bad one because instead of being reminiscent of purity, it is reminiscent of spectrality. Wow. Talk about someone. This person is uses too many words in yeah, their review. For real. Um, for some reason I'm getting like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy feels. Oh, no, that's a good guess. Okay, you're definitely going to get it on the next review. Yeah, you say that, but now I'm going to look stupid when I don't get it. No, you are. The review is, there were no dicks in this book. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. We've read so Wait, many. I don't know. I don't know. There what were them... no dicks in this book. <laughs> because the title would suggest otherwise. I don't. I don't know. What did we? Moby Dick. Oh, God damn it. Oh, God damn. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See, I told you I was going to look dumb. Uh, no, you don't uh, look dumb. Moby Those Dick. Those are hard reviews. No, you, There's literally the word dick in it, and I didn't get it. Come on. <laughs> Maybe because I like Moby Dick so much, like as like a, not that I love reading it, but like I know that it's a good book. And I and I've had here's what it is. All right. Here's the reason why I didn't get this joke. OK, I am a child <laughs> and I get that Moby Dick is a funny ass title. So I've had to, like, put up a wall in my brain that keeps that one sacred. You know, like that one, Moby Dick. It's not funny. It's not funny to me. It's like it's like. Where have I seen it where someone's like, yeah, when my best friend has a girlfriend, that girl is now very ugly to me. I have to make her ugly or else I'm going to fall in love with her. You know what I mean? So I've had to make Moby Dick not funny or else it's going to be the funniest and I'll never be able to talk about it. Wait, I don't think I got this metaphor at all. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, what? You're making people ugly in your brains? Yeah, I think it was in Scrubs. <laughs> I think that's where it's from. So. Okay. I, I think you can definitely bounce back on the next one. Again, you're setting me up for failure. Lambert, come I mean, on. Come on. Here is the, the first snippet of a review. Okay. 
if this is the gold standard against which all science fiction must measure and be judged, let's just blow our brains out right now and call it a day. (laughs) I feel like I know the author, but I don't know the book. Okay, do you want to hazard a guess at the author? Oh, Isaac Asimov. If that if mm. we're going gold standard of Am I wrong? Is that wrong? No, that's wrong. <gasps> gold standard of sci-fi. We haven't done Arthur C. Clarke. Lovecraft. We already did you already did Lovecraft, so I don't I don't think that you'd bring Lovecraft back. No, I'm not bringing back any old authors. The gold standard of science fiction. Maybe my brain is just broken today. I only had one <laughs> cup of coffee, so you'll definitely get it on the next one. Stop I said before saying that <laughs> this book was so dumb; it was a chore to get through it, and I haven't pushed past the pain period in years. I don't know what that means. People riding worms, killing their grandpas, weird <gasps> names for knives, bullets, what? and don't forget, everyone is addicted to cinnamon. How I thought it was you. lame. It felt really juvenile. Now I am the author seemed to be trying really hard to make everything really mysterious and mythical and all i could think was how lame it was all blue eyes a worms called a makers suits where you drink your own body moisture disgusting you know what this person's disgusting (laughs) this person you're so triggered right now does not understand what it takes to write a good book you know what (laughs) who's this person where's their book I want to see a sci-fi from them. <laughs> You're going to tell me that you don't get a little weird out in space? Things get weird in space. <laughs> Things do get weird in space. Space worms. Okay, so for so for the Dune, listeners who maybe Fra- don't Frank know. Frank Herbert, Dune. Yes. Um, and I'm... I would be more interested in <laughs> I'd be more interested in hearing what that guy has to say about the following books where one of the characters turns into a giant worm and lives for 30,000 years as a tyrant in the galaxy. Um that would be a more interesting conversation to have with that person because in all respects Dune that's the normal one. <laughs> well i doubt that reader um made it past dune if they hated it that much that would just be like senseless um like (laughs) self-torture this is the worst six book series that i read every (laughs) single book in i mean i guess i could say that about twilight just kidding i really liked twilight at the time i was reading it you read did you read all the twilight books yes i did including the one that was from from edward's point of view no, 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 no. I read all the original Twilight books. The original. <laughs> I don't read gender-swapped remakes of the same exact book. Is it gender-swapped? I thought it was literally just his point of view on it. There's one that's Edward's point of view, and then I think in that episode we talked about there was one. I don't know if it was literally from Stephanie Meyer or if somebody else did it, but there was a gender swapped version where it was a male human and a female vampire. And I was just like, you are literally just re-releasing the same book multiple times yeah. to get more money. Hell yeah. What is going on? And people are eating it up. Literally. Ooh, oh, vampire pun. Vampires. Okay. So for our last bad review guessing game, would you rather do another sci-fi one or a different genre? You got to surprise me. I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, 
I'm ha- I'm I'm probably not gonna get it. So okay. Um, this is a hard game. I know. Well, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's I, easy. You did yeah. really well on the last one. Yeah. Well, when you start talking about worms, sci-fi worms, <laughs> what else am I gonna think of? Okay. Am I the only one who feels genuinely bothered by how shallow the whole thing was? I don't know. It was just sort of cringy and blatantly propagandistic. But perhaps it's just me not getting along with author. Again, the fact that he chose to write this in 1943 when he could have been, you know, fighting fascism and stuff and barely had any knowledge of what was going on in the USSR does not say or does say a lot about him, too. I feel like it's... um... Orwell. Good job. Okay, can you guess which book? Because of the USSR, I want to say it's uh, Animal Farm. You got it on the first one. Nailed it. Good job. Yeah. There was another one that I put on this list. Um, And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Of course it's shallow. It's supposed to be mimicking fables and old wives' tales. And uh, yeah. That's the point, <laughs> you dumbest. <sighs> I got to read this other review. It was written in 2013, and I can only assume the person's joking when they're writing this because it's, <laughs> if not, <laughs> if not, I have many more questions. So they said, Orwell has really dropped the ball on this one. It's all very well writers using their imagination, but asking me to believe that animals can not only learn to speak English, but can also successfully run a semi-industrialized working farm is frankly a bit patronizing. Pigs can't talk George, and they certainly can't conceive of harnessing wind power to produce electricity. No doubt he got the idea from watching episodes of Peppa Pig with his kids, but adults won't believe this sort of nonsense. Let's hope he comes back with something a bit more serious next time. That is... It's got to be a joke. It's got to be a joke. There's no way somebody... There's no way somebody would think that George Orwell got an idea from Peppa the Pig and decided to put it down. And that he's still alive. Yeah. And that there's going to be a next time for him. Yeah. Nah, that's a joke. It's It's a good one. It's hilarious. But they shouldn't um, have given it one star then. <laughs> I mean, it's probably if anybody's capable of getting a one star review on Amazon and it doesn't affect them, it's probably someone like Orwell. Who's um, dead. Like if you and do doesn't that, know what Amazon if you do is. that to an indie author, yeah, you're fucking them up. Don't do that. Um that like reviews are more important than the money that, that authors get for the books that you buy legitimately i know that firsthand i make almost nothing off of the books you buy on amazon from me but if you do a review then i become more established and people are more likely to buy the book like it's it's worth more money to me if i could give them out for free and get verified um uh reviews i would well and let's be honest in in this um publishing climate the vast majority of authors are not making livable money off of writing. So hearing nice things from readers is basically all the payment they're getting. So be nice on the internet. That's very true. Very true. And also even like authors whose names we know who like have semi big publishing contracts. It's like, if you're getting, you know, 20 to $50,000 for one book and you write one book every year or three years, it's like, that's still not enough to pay the bills. So yeah, 
It's um, all for the prestige. Plus, Orwell was kind of a dick, and um, he's dead, so it's fine to do that to him. <laughs> and to Herman Melville. And to Frank Herbert. I'm sorry. I know you love him, but he is also dead and doesn't care anymore. Yeah, but he wasn't a dick. Uh, he was to his son. That's true. Well, he wasn't he was a not great a good dad. dad, is what they said. <laughs> um, go blast Hemingway and Mr. James. <laughs> mr james for sure yeah um we should just change the name of this podcast to the anti-james show anti-mr james show we hate mr james i'm gonna make a shirt add that to the to the pile of shirts on our on our merch just i hate mr james and everything he stood for that's such a like niche um group to belong to like nobody knows who mr james is yeah so aggressive let alone enough to hate him (laughs) and then the one person who gave us the really bad review because of that episode (laughs) to be like i hate that shit (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully he buys like several of them to burn yeah you know i'll print them all you can burn the whole world if you pay me for it first oh man all right tyler should we uh skedaddle yeah so uh so next episode we're talking about sir conan o'doyle did i say that right <laughs> sir arthur conan doyle yeah conan yeah. O- just... o'doyle right no it's just Doyle. No, o- i've been saying yeah. it wrong my entire life <laughs> you've been saying o'doyle yeah it dialect. sounds way better conan well, O'Doyle. irish <laughs> doesn't matter you don't need to be you don't need to be irish to have an o in your name <laughs> I feel like O'Doyle sounds very Irish, but Doyle sounds just like regular British or Scottish. I think he's from Scotland. We're going to find out in the next episode, and we're going to find out how much um, cocaine Sherlock did. (laughs) Um, And we're going to find out about a recent lawsuit that the um, Doyle estate did against Sherlock Holmes. Against Sherlock Holmes? Yep. The, the person the, the fake character the, the or character, the yeah what oh my gosh i can't <gasps> wait to learn about this yeah um so uh if you guys uh want to reach out to us uh the best way to do that is um i mean there's facebook we have a page and uh it's mostly a uh, davani posts um on our facebook page you can go there if you want the the other two ways to do it are uh at lewis and lovecraft on instagram um where we are active and we will reply and uh sometimes i'll say a snarky thing um if you comment on our pictures so you know if you want to see that <laughs> do that or lewisandlovecraft.com there you can see you can see our merch um and it'll take you to our merch page you can see pictures and links to past uh authors that we've covered so if you want to get like an idea of like all the people that we've covered you can do that um as well as um you can if you want to contact us through the web page you can do that if you have questions or or comments or anything you can always go to our web page and uh, reach out to us there also rate and review us um wherever you can especially on apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and you can also rate on spotify now which i like um and remember to subscribe so you don't miss any of our new episodes 
make sure you tell your friends about our show. We don't pay for advertising at all. Um, and uh, we're getting close to a point where we can have an advertiser on our show. Um, so if you reach out to your friends and let them know, then when we do get advertisers, uh, it can benefit both you and them. So we would really appreciate new listenership. So just take a couple minutes out of your day to tell your friends about us. And uh, we want to hear from you about your thoughts on our show. So if you have a favorite indie author or indie book, so someone who was not published through a traditional publishing house but did it on their own, let us know. Email us and tell us um, who the author is or, or what the name of the book is and why you love it. Yeah, so, we, again, we our email address is lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Yeah, we want to promote you guys. We want to promote the community of small authors that are you know out there trying to do it. Um, we're in it with you, so um, feel free to, to support each other and promote them here. Lewis and Lovecraft gmail.com. Um, and that's going to be it. We hope you enjoyed this super long, chill episode because we basically did our whole episode and a whole nother episode with uh, some strangers out in a uh, field. <laughs> so, I like how you characterized it as a field. Yeah. <laughs> so people are gonna think we set up shop in a pasture. There's like some cows eating grass around there us. At our table. <laughs> that would be awesome that and less awesome. distracting. I feel like. I think that needs to be like a photo shoot that we do. I think oh that my would gosh! Be fun. Set up a booth in a in a field. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah, we'll make that happen uh, <laughs> when it's not a thousand fucking degrees outside. Yeah. So remember, I second that. Stay cool, stay hydrated, and stay safe, ghoul gang.